0: Welcome back to another episode of Passionate Pioneers. I'm grateful you're here with us and to be part of a very important and frank conversation we're going to have today. With the recent murder of George Floyd and the subsequent protests and riots across our nation, there is no denying these are some of the most profound moments of racial unease we have experienced in our lifetimes. But I believe we have an opportunity in time like no other to honestly confront the festering wound that has hampered us for generations, systemic racism. To lend my voice and platform to help move our community forward, I've asked a national leader to join us on the podcast today to discuss systemic racism in the healthcare industry. I'm humbled, I'm honored, and I'm thankful that he accepted our invitation and is with us today. Recognized by countless organizations as a change maker within his field, Dwayne Elliott Reynolds has helped to lead the national conversation around diversity, inclusion, and health equity illuminating new perspectives and helping others connect the dots between value, transformation, and belonging. As a healthcare consulting leader for the advisory board company, Duane developed the division's first inclusion and diversity department and served as its first chief executive. Duane has most recently been the president and CEO of the American Hospital Association's Institute for Diversity and Health Equity and has held leadership positions at other prominent organizations, including John Hopkins Medicine, Emory Healthcare, Ohio Health, and Optum, a United Health Group company. During his graduate studies, Dwayne pioneered the development of an academic course centered on diversity and healthcare leadership and also co-founded the Health Services Management and Policy Diversity Committee at The Ohio State University. As CEO of Just Health Collective, Dwayne and his team discover hidden opportunities to drive organizational change and uncover diverse points of view, which lead businesses to breakthroughs once considered out of reach. Through Dwayne's mission in life, he passionately makes a case for why organizations must recognize and embrace their roles in battling historic and systemic injustices in order to advance health equity. Dwayne, I'm incredibly thankful
1: to have you on our podcast today, and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Thanks, Mike. It is an honor for me to be here with you today really at a historic moment when we have the opportunity to make a pivot in the historical context of our country and what racism has has meant in our country moving towards more unification and so any opportunity that i get i am to speak on these topics i'm very honored
0: well as we discussed leading up to our time together this is going to be frank it's going to be blunt no masks are allowed. I want the unfettered truth and realities of where we are in this industry that you and I have dedicated our careers to. And nothing is off limits during our time. And I sincerely mean that. And I'm more importantly, looking forward to learning from you and to listen and to better understand where we are as an industry and as a nation. So with that, Dwayne. In your recent blog post, you mentioned that statements from healthcare chief executive officers espousing support for racial justice have divorced their healthcare organization's responsibility for deconstructing systemic racism at an institutional level. Can you unpack that a bit more for us to better understand what you mean and what you are experiencing, given your expert view?
1: Sure. So, a point of clarification it is exceptional to have the solidarity from CEOs across many industries, it's been important to send the message out specifically to communities of color and the African-American community in particular. What my concern is, is that statements are only words on paper. We have to understand what the next action will be. And in some of the statements that I've read, I have been concerned that some CEOs may not understand that part of the work that has to be done is inside of their institutions, not just work in the criminal justice system or police department. It's quite frankly, all sectors understanding that in order to make change, we have to clean up the inside of our institutions. And what I mean by that is we have to look at the policies. We have to look at procedures and processes that may be in place that have perpetuated institutional racism and disparities that lead to health inequity.
0: Well, thank you for that. And I appreciate that insight because your blog post was very eye-opening and I appreciated all the words in it. Well, before we dive in a little bit more into specifically the healthcare industry, Dwayne, can you help us better understand what is the difference between individual racism versus structural racism?
1: Sure. I definitely like to give a little context there because there is a macro level view all the way down to the individual person view. So at the macro level, we're talking about Deconstructing structural racism, structural racism that, quite frankly, was built into the fabric of our country as we erected policies, institutions that were, quite frankly, built based off of the dominant culture of white Americans. And so we have to understand that this is much deeper than just an individual who may express racist behavior or actions. So at the macro level, we're talking structural. But then when we come down to the next level, we have to look at the institutions that make up our society. So education, banking, political, healthcare, criminal justice, housing, all of these institutions are not immune to racism. Racism was built into them. And so in order to really unpack and deconstruct, we have to be focused at an institutional level. The next level down is about the individual. And that's about me and you figuring out our own internal biases that have been created because of how we've been conditioned, what we've been taught. Some of it, not even consciously. It's the messages that are perpetuated through media. It's the messages that we're told about, you know, what it means to be male versus female, what it means to be black versus white, what it means to be heterosexual versus homosexual. All those messages that condition us to act in a certain way. And they help to create biases. Those biases may be unconscious, meaning we don't even think about what type of decisions and thoughts that we have about people. It's sort of automatic. So this is, you know, thinking about, you know, as a white woman perhaps walking down the street and you see an African-American male coming your direction and you may cross the street because you have a fear response. And you may not even understand why, but you do. So at the individual level, we have to unpack our own issues. And this is a very reflective, very introspective work that we have to do to really unpack our own biases and our own issues with race and other categories of potential discrimination and bias is really what we've got to be looking at, structure, institution, and individual.
0: And I know this is a very big question, but I got to ask it. How do we start? Where do we start? With whom? What institutions? Is it education? Is it in the family home? Is it our religious institutions? How do we start that process, Dwayne?
1: Yeah, it's a very good question. And a lot of people tend to get overwhelmed when thinking about all of the work that has to be done, when learning about all of the levers that have to be pulled. This work has to be done concurrently, but I really think it starts at an individual level, educating yourself, listening to the lived experiences of diverse individuals. And when I say diverse individuals, I'm not just talking about race. I also consider, and most people in, you know, the diversity and inclusion space will tell you, white folks are a part of diversity. You have characteristics that are in terms of, to who you are that make you unique. So we have to listen to the experiences of everyone. But right now, our focus has to be on listening to the experiences of African-Americans because we are perhaps one of the most marginalized groups in this country because of our storied history. After you've worked at the individual level, it really gives you... An ability to become more aware of all of the other things that are happening, and so in healthcare organizations, we'll just stick with with our industry. It's beginning to look at what does our operation, the core business, how does it serve communities? How are we actively or inactively causing disparities by virtue of the system that we have set up, not serving those most in need. And for many years, as you know, we've been in a financial realm of healthcare where we're paid based off of the volume that comes in the door, the fee-for-service model. But in reality, that doesn't always lead to the best outcomes, the best experience, and it certainly produces more cost, uh, which most of your listeners are fully aware of. But when we think about moving towards value-based care, value-based care is really about understanding populations and what they need in order to be well. And so the incentives to move towards value-based care actually help to move us also towards building health equity. Because we start to focus on things like the social determinants of health, like our social needs of the patients that are coming to our organizations and how we partner with community organizations. So when I talk about those things, those are core to the business of healthcare the decisions we make to place a ambulatory site or a clinic in a specific neighborhood has real implications for access for underserved communities. And so we have to be able to thread the conversation of health equity into all aspects of a healthcare organization. And only when we do that from that health equity lens, will we really begin to dismantle and deconstruct what inherently is a racist system based off of the structure that was built over hundreds of years?
0: Well, and that tees up an area that I'd love for us to learn from you, and that's the historical context of systemic oppression and injustices in healthcare. Can you share a bit more regarding that and what we can learn from it to move forward?
1: Yes, I'll take this from the (laughs) African-American perspective, but know that there are many other marginalized communities that also have very storied histories with their interactions in healthcare. And so when we think about the African-American experience, we have to really go back and look at the historical actions that have happened that really set up how African-Americans view the healthcare system. Quite frankly, most don't trust it. And that has real implications for how we're able to really take care of those communities. So one of the things that I myself learned over the last few years was that the first experiment that led to modern day gynecology was performed by James Marion Sims. And so he created tools and surgical techniques for women's reproductive health. And he's, he's really known as the father of modern gynecology. Well, Sims actually conducted tests and research on enslaved black women, and he conducted surgical procedures without anesthesia. And so that is part of the history of the healthcare system interacting with African-Americans. We also should note and talk about the Tuskegee syphilis study in which African-American males were actually injected with syphilis and not told that they were actually being experimented on and given syphilis. We also think about Henrietta Lacks, who was an African-American woman who lived in Baltimore and she had gynecological cancer and she was experimented on and her cells were harvested without her permission. Those cells are still alive today and actually have created much of the industry that we have around understanding the reproduction of cancer cells. And so there was actually a movie, you know, a few years back about her life and how, because of her, we have actually made major strides in the healthcare industry. Yet she was not recognized only until recently for that experience. And her family has had a very difficult time thinking about how their mother was abused within the system. I also want to talk a little bit about the integration of hospitals. So after the Civil Rights Act, hospitals were still segregated. It was only until the federal government stepped in to desegregate hospitals did we get to that point. And it actually was surprise visits that were paid to hospitals. And they were put, essentially canceled out of Medicare, Medicaid payment if they did not desegregate their organizations. And our largest trade association for hospitals, the American Hospital Association, was actually on the wrong side of history. They were not in favor of desegregating hospitals. And there are documents that folks can find out and read about concerning their position. And so, you know, there are points in history where organizations, again, perpetuated institutional racism. And so when I say we have to deconstruct, that means we need organizations now to look at the impact that they have and the ability to actually take very strong stances against racism and how it perpetuates, but not just in word, not just on a document, but actually advocating for policy change, actually moving towards making sure that diverse individuals are represented in leadership. We still have a very large problem as it relates to diversity of healthcare leaders and their representation, we've got to move beyond that. Now is the time to actually take a hard stance and say, we have to have diverse representation that understands the lived experiences of our communities in order to really make change. So that's a little bit about the history of hospitals and healthcare organizations. And that matters. It matters because it helps us understand our current day reality. And it helps us understand the mistakes that were made and how we can hopefully prevent those same mistakes from being perpetuated again.
0: Well, thank you for that historical context, Dwayne. And you're right, it does help give context to where we are in current day in this industry. And during this recording, we are still in the heat and in the crucible of COVID-19 and this pandemic. Can you share a bit how the pandemic has exposed these injustices, these inequities across our country for our Black and Brown community members in
1: our nation? Absolutely. I remember, you know, amid the pandemic, I actually wrote a blog post about the fact that health disparities were going to, be exposed during this pandemic and this was before a lot of the statistics started to roll in and the reason i knew that is because we've always had underlying health disparities we've always had social determinants of health which contribute to the overall health and well-being of communities and so those of us who work in this particular field Knew what was coming. And so it's now been exposed at a national level, more so than I think it it has ever come to the forefront. It's just unfortunate that we have to lose lives in order to really begin to understand these systemic issues. I mean, we look at cities like Chicago, where the death rate among African Americans. 72 percent based off of the COVID cases that were happening. But African Americans are only 30 percent of the population in Chicago. And the story repeats itself. In Louisiana, 70 percent death rate among African Americans who suffered from COVID, but yet they're only 32 percent of the population. It's disproportionate impact because of social determinants that have led to these disparities and because of racism that happens inside of our organizations. It is a root cause of why we have these very disparate impacts with COVID. Not to mention the fact that the folks who were deemed essential employees were predominantly people of color, grocery store workers, frontline healthcare workers, housekeeping, all these individuals had to continue to go out into the world to keep our economy moving, to keep our essential services, to keep those essential services happening for the rest of us, which meant they had higher exposure. And so you couple that with already existing social determinants of health, it's the perfect storm. The perfect storm happened and we can't unsee that. We shouldn't unsee it. And it means that we have to really take a hard look at what we have done over time and what we owe these communities in order to reverse, quite frankly, what structural racism has done to these communities.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that as well, Duane, because... As I mentioned earlier, we're right in the heart of it, and it's going to be with us for quite some time. COVID-19 uh, has been just absolutely brutal for the communities that you just discussed. And so with that, Dwayne, I also want to turn a bit and share some positive news that you are working on right now with Just Health Collective, your organization. And I love your vision, and let me tee it up. Your vision is to create a liberated healthcare system free of bias discrimination and disparities resulting in equitable health for all. Dwayne, can you share with our audience the work that you and your team are doing at Just Health Collective? And then maybe we can even discuss how we can all get involved as well, but we'd love to hear a little bit of that elevator pitch and all the wonderful work happening in your camp.
1: Sure. Just Health Collective is really my passion and purpose coming to fruition. It gives me the opportunity to carry out the work that is so necessary, as we now see, is so necessary for improving our healthcare system all the way around. And we are devoted, passionate individuals who are coming together in a digital engagement community in which we learn, we network, we share tools and resources. We have virtual sessions where we discuss things like power and privilege and how that actually plays out in a healthcare setting. And so I'm building a community of individuals who are there to help each other grow and learn so that we are then able to take that back to our organizations to continue to advance their capacity for learning, understanding and change. And the second part of Just Health Collective is our consulting service offerings. So we are focused on belonging and that concept hasn't really taken a hold in healthcare, but it is in corporate America. But belonging in healthcare means that we are focused on the intersection of health equity, diversity and inclusion because all of that matters to transforming the system. We have to look at our internal culture and we have to also look then at how we interact with our community, how we advocate and advance policies that again help us to deconstruct and eliminate structural racism. And so the consulting services that we offer are really focused on coming in and doing strategic assessments to help the organization understand a lot of the things that we've talked about today, how many pieces of the organization are required to come to the table to create a vision for what health equity looks like in their environment. And then we help them create structure, we help them create tactical actions, and we help them create accountability. And all that taken together, we produce a roadmap that says, you know, over the next one to three years, here are the things that you need to do. And we prioritize those actions and we can support them in implementation as well. One of the consulting offerings that I'm most excited about is disparities mitigation and ROI analysis. So we would go into an organization and make sure that they're collecting the right type of data, meaning race, ethnicity, and language data, sexual orientation, gender identity data, that they're collecting it at, at systematically, that the data is clean, and that they're starting to do performance improvement. I partnered as a strategic partner called Encore Health, who then helps us analyze. If we were to go in and look at, say, diabetes, and we understand that there's disparities between the African American community and the white community. If we close the gap in those disparities, there's a financial ROI that can be recouped because we're helping to eliminate excessive ED visits, to eliminate inpatient stays that may occur as a result of diabetes uh, exacerbations. We're really wanting to show that this isn't just about the moral case. We all know that there's a moral responsibility, but there is actually a business case to be made that if we paid attention to we really could recoup billions of dollars one study by Thomas Lavis and other researchers in 2011 showed that the direct annual cost of health disparities is 230 billion dollars annually we're not paying attention to this in a systematic way yet we're talking very much about how we reduce costs and improve efficiency this is part of how we do that. We have to understand that those disparities come at a cost to our organizations. And once we finally realize that, we then can perform the work necessary to not only recruit the costs, but improve outcomes and experience of our patients and our community. So that is what Just Health Collective is about. And I'm so excited to have the opportunity to live out my dream and to hopefully make positive, substantial change in our industry using the medium of Just Health Collective.
0: Well, it's very important work and your mission and vision is so inspiring, Duane. Where can our community get a hold of you and your team online, some connectivity points, social media, or otherwise? Where can we find more online to get a hold of you?
1: We are located uh, online at www.justhealthcollective.com. We are also on LinkedIn. Certainly, people can connect with me on LinkedIn. And we also have an email address that people can reach out to, and that's info at justhealthcollective.com.
0: And we'll also have an article posted in our free global online community, passionatepioneers.com with all of these contact points. And Dwayne is one of our community members on our global online community and has uh, always been active over there. So thank you for your, your opportunity to connect in the community over there as well, Dwayne. And so uh, to our community listening in, you can have a direct line to Dwayne to ask questions, give feedback or otherwise from this episode over at again, passionatepioneers.com, our free global online community. So, Thank you for that, Duane. And of course, talking to a lot of healthcare executives that aren't not just rallied around this podcast, but just in my daily work, it's up to you. We're seeing a lot of executives in corporate America stand up and take a firm line in regards to being part of the solution and no longer being complicit or silent. And so I'm asking and hoping that a lot of my colleagues and peers in our industry will take Dwayne up on all that he shared today and make real lasting change within our industry. Now is the time and you are the leaders to do it. So Dwayne, thank you again for being with us today, for sharing your truth and for sharing your perspective with our community, especially during these trying times for our nation. Know that you have a whole team over here rooting you on. Continue to keep us posted with all the wonderful work happening, not only for you personally, but with Just Health Collective. But again, thank you for all that you're doing, and thank you for lending your voice
1: to our community. Thanks, Mike, and thank you for lending your platform to get out the message. It's critically important that at this point in our country's history that we have allies and champions And that is actually what makes me hopeful for the future. You know, as we look out into our country and the protests that are happening, it's not just African-Americans who are there. We have allies, and that is what this country is built on. The diversity is what makes us rich. And now that we are coming together and unifying, I have great hope for our ability to really undo some of the atrocities that have happened over years and years in our country. Our first time to really take a hard stance and really make change that will be lasting for future generations. So again, I thank you for allowing me to be with you today.
0: Well, truly the honor and
1: the humility
0: that you bring to all of your work is so inspiring to so many I'm just thankful to be able to spend some time alongside you, and I look forward to continuing to use our platform to elevate your incredible work and mission, Dwayne. Again, thank you for being with us today.